Hello, and welcome to the Disrupting PFAS podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hale. For this season of the podcast, I have curated four episodes focusing on the detection, destruction, and sequestration of PFAS using novel materials or processes. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Radha Makuri of Pacific Northwest National Laboratory about PFAS detection, capture, and destruction using nanoporous materials. This is a very fitting topic for the podcast as it covers all the elements of our theme, detection, capture, and destruction, as well as novel nanoporous material. So let's learn more about the technology from one of its innovators. Welcome to the podcast, Radha. Thank you, Jeff. So we're honored to have a researcher from Pacific Northwest National Lab join us on the podcast today. Uh, could you please tell me more about the mission of Pacific Northwest National Lab, which I'll refer to as PNNL, and the type of work being done there? Uh, great, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, PNNL, uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, is one of the UDOE national laboratories located in the northwest part of the US in Washington state. Uh, so this is a national lab. Um, we are working on various science missions like as, as, uh, NSD, national security, science, environment, energy, and all the aspects. Uh, roughly, like uh, we have one billion, more than one billion dollar of revenue every year, and with more than five thousand staff working at PNL on various missions, uh, including national security, science, and also other aspects. Excellent. So we're really glad to have a representative from PNNL on the podcast today, as I mentioned. Um, could you tell us about your role at the lab, please? Yeah, I'm a material scientist and a chemical engineer at PNNL, and I joined almost like 13 years back, like in 20, uh, 2008. Uh, basically, I am a PhD in uh, material science and material chemistry specifically, working on the nanoporous materials or zeolites or mesoporous silica at that time before my uh, joining at PNL. So after joining the PNL, mostly worked on how to utilize these nanoporous materials for real application, real world applications. Uh, basically started in like in 2010, we got a project on the adsorption cooling where utilizing the heat evolved or heat generated during the process of adsorption and desorption of a guest molecule to the host of nanoporous material that we utilized for energy application, uh, the adsorption, cooling, and refrigeration applications. At that time, we used uh, refrigerants such as fluorocarbon based refrigerants. Those refrigerants are helping are helped us to go into the PFAS science because the fluorocarbon is the same fluorocarbon in PFAS too. So that's the relation, close relation, where we have the nanoporous material chemistry and the PFAS chemistry. Excellent, so that's an exciting uh, field of research and uh, very interesting on how it progressed. Uh, could you tell us more about nanoporous materials, you know, what are they, how do they, um, you know, some of their unique properties and how they play into this field? Sure, sure, definitely. So a simple example I'll start with, uh, when you purchase an electronics, generally you find a small sachet inside an electronic box, right? 
when you uh, they clearly say that don't eat but um, do you know what is the purpose of the sachet it is for taking the moisture in the box to keep the electronics safe for longer duration in the transportation right until to reach the customer so that is a nanoporous material which is simple silica mm -hmm. its role is to take out the moisture in the box throughout the like shipping packing to shipping to the uh, customer so that is one kind of nanoporous material simple silica and uh, an analogy and there are so many nanoporous materials are existing in the literature like zeolites mesoporous silica like um, metal organic frameworks covalent organic frameworks are various kind of nanoporous materials are existing i think people might know uh, zeolites are very famous as nanoporous materials right they have like invented or discovered like a couple of decades back, a couple of centuries back mm -hmm. and uh, so those are the nanoporous materials and one thing is that the nanoporous material that we are using are uh, that we uh, an analogy I given in a um, electronic box, right? That simple silica gel having SiO, SiR, SiO, Al bonding, where that role is only taking the water molecules. But recently, like 20 years back, like there is a development of metal organic frameworks. The metal organic frameworks are similar to that of zeolites structures where the zeolites having silica oxygen alumina bonds but where nanoporous materials of MOFs, metal organic frameworks have metal and organic linker and forming a structure so it is like for example uh, ex another example is like a sponge kind of material okay the sponge just you can just put, take a sponge and put in a water it will suck all the water right mm -hmm. This is you can see by visually you can see what's happening, but at nanoscale the same if you uh, the nanoporous material is like actually like a sponge at nano level where the it looks like simple white powder or some colored powder, but its role is will act as a uh, sponge kind of material. Well, that's a great description of nanoporous materials. I'm not sure uh, everyone is particularly aware of what they are and, and what they do. Um, so I think that'll be a, gr a great foundation for um, you know, when we talk more about the technology you've been working on. Uh, I wanted to bring it back to PFAS for a minute. Um, so you described uh, how you uh, arrived at doing some PFAS research with these materials that grew out of uh, looking at uh, uh, refrigerants. Um, as a researcher, as a technologist, what is your outlook on our ability to tackle this human-made contaminant with technology? The problem is very big. The PFAS problem is a huge problem. And uh, only material chemists are, sign are not sufficient. We have to have a combination of like uh, various fields of science, engineering, like uh, all those things has to come together to bring a technology that can work to complete remediation of PFAS. So, for example, right now I'm working with an electrical engineer in the uh, for the prototyping. I'm working with a mechanical engineer, working with chemical engineers, 
material scientists and like and and finally we have to work with the medicinal people where the health effects people will work so it's, it's like all the fields has to come together to tackle this problem i want to start getting more into your research and the technologies that are being developed at pnnl um you know the first thing you mentioned was detection you know there's a lot of focus on uh, treatment remediation destruction of pfas compounds but it's really important to know where they are uh and at what concentration, and to know that information rapidly. So understand PNNL has developed a fast PFAST sensor using these nanoporous materials. Um, so can you talk about um, how nanoporous materials are used to detect PFAS? Wonderful. So that uh, maybe before going into the topic directly, I will give a brief background of nanoporous material, which I mentioned in a previous uh, question. When we are doing the nanoporous materials from last decade on the fluorocarbon based adsorption, we really understood what is the role of the fluorocarbon inside the pore. Because the pore, nanopore, the pore uh, porosity, surface area, pore volume, and metal centers, functionalization, all those things will be having a role on the adsorption of this PFAS or the fluorine containing molecule. For me, uh, PFAS is a molecule, a fluorine containing molecule, right? All I look, all I look is how the fluorine containing molecule is having a role inside the my pore of nanopore of the mouth whether this is a uh, having a chemical bond or physical bond more attraction less attraction how can i tune the attraction of this host of nanoporous material and the guest of the fluorine containing molecule so we established a various um, studies do the uh, like expensive experimentation like uh, for example exafs zanes in situ studies like ir ftir or various studies we have done on the fluorine containing molecules inside the nanopore material what is the interaction strength how can we increase the strength between the host and the guest how can we decrease how can manipulate how can we tune the the, the uh, strength between the host and guest from over the 10 years, right? So once we changed our gears to PFAS, because again, I'm looking this one as a fluorine containing molecule, whether a fluorocarbon R134A or the fluorocarbon or uh, PFAS are the same kind of, kind, kind of uh, molecules seek uh, alkyl chains with the fluorines, right? Number of fluorines. So in that space, I will see more adding number of fluorines on the PFAS, how they are interacting into my pore. That helped us, okay, this is the methodology that we can tune the material into construct into a, this kind of a structure may be helpful for the PFAS. So if then, I can bring that back to an analogy that you gave before, you talked about the nanoporous materials is almost like a sponge. So it's yeah. got a lot of nooks and crannies and pores in there. And so molecules, in this case PFAS, would basically get nestled in to the pores and pits and nooks and crannies of the sponge or the nanoporous material. And um, But they can kind of sit nestled in there in different ways that you can uh, maybe exploit uh, to you know, understand or gain information from how that molecule is sitting in that nanoporous material. Is that a, is that a good um, analogy or summary? 
Yes, that's right. But the in a sponge kind of a thing, the water just you push it out and bring it back easy, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing here, but there is some driving forces required to put a good get them out and get them in because the driving force has to be there, right? Because there are so many molecules in water, right? So all the water can go into the the the, the nanoporous material, but why uh, there are why can't why can only PFAS can stay there? All the molecules can stay, fill the complete material, and there's no space for other PFAS molecules. Mm, good point. So we have to engineer the nanoporous material, specifically designing the fluorophilicity in the material. Fluorophilicity means the uh, so you you know hydrophilicity, right? The material uh, hydrophilic in nature, meaning that water attracting. Mm -hmm. Similarly, we have to design the material develop the material that is super fluorophilicity meaning that only attracting towards the fluorine containing molecules then once in the when you put in the water there are so many other contaminants so many other things are there around but it's more specific to uh, can ex uh, can extract only the fluorine containing molecules fascinating excellent discussion radha about nanoporous materials and how they're used in pfas research um, can you tell us you know more about these materials and uh, their adsorption characteristics and and how they interact with these types of molecules yeah, yeah that's a good question so the nanoporous materials there are different kinds of nanoporous materials are there and uh, basically as i said i was uh, i did my phd in zeolites kind of zeolite, zeolites type of materials as nanoporous materials but as turned into the metal organic frameworks or covalent organic frameworks or porous carbons i can show you uh, an example like a slide where different kinds of nanoporous materials are present say for example here you can see the metal organic frameworks covalent organic frameworks and uh, porous carbon hierarchical porous carbons and nanoporous silica and zeolite materials so the difference here is that um, if you look at with naked eye you can see all of them as a powders you don't differentiate if i give you a powder of muff a powder of zeolite you cannot see a differentiation because those are all powders but when you look with a microscope with microscope then what happens is that how the pores are built what are the pores um, uh, connected with which are like how the pores are connected how the, the orientation everything matters say as i give uh, as i told in the beginning like the the construction of an airport is different from the school or hospital right same thing here at nanoporous material this type of a structure here is completely different behavior for different this kind of structure at nano level because when the molecule enter into the here and enter and exit may be very easy because it looks very like a tubic kind of structure whereas if the structure is like different kind the time it will take go into the structure and come back is late for example how much time do you take to go into an auditorium and come out maybe few minutes but the same thing uh, 10 floor at uh, the same space of the auditorium area wise but you have a 10 uh, like uh, all the rooms how much time does it take for you to go into the middle of the room and come back it's a longer time same thing the molecule, the chemical molecule, the molecule go into the space, how, how easily it will go into space. And then 
how easily attracts to that pore structure is also important right if there if there is a good show or if a, there's any there, there's a school or somewhere where you have a movie going on there you have more attraction you sit there and not rather than uh, something right mm -hmm. similarly similarly we have, yeah so we have some good functionality here where the molecule can sit in with a wonderful source of attraction or some chemical attraction between the host and guest to create so that we can have pull all those molecules into the pore and these are different kind of fluorine containing molecules fluorocarbons we studied and the difference between those and here is only the difference is like having more number of fluorines and longer chains so the pfos are from starting from even four four member like a, a butane or pfba kind of material to all the way to um, 12 14 so having number of fluorines so now increasing the fluorine content here on the structure then how can we have more interaction or more functionality here in the pore to get more pfos that is a host and guest relationship and how we can improve the relationship is a part of my duty to uh, for engaging uh, for my duty to improve the technology improve the adsorption capacity between the host and guest so i think that's a fascinating discussion of nanoporous materials i liked what you talked about the host guest relationship you know how pfas or other molecules get you know nestled in the pore space of these nanoporous materials and you're working to um, fine-tune improve that uh, relationship that host guest relationship uh, you know to exploit it for some sort of practical functionalization uh, which is what i wanted to talk about next um, we, you know, we're talking about the detection of PFAS using this host-guest relationship in nanoporous materials. Could you talk to us about um, the architecture of the sensor itself? Oh, wonderful. So as I mentioned about this capture mechanism, how the host-guest interactions are happening, right? With the simple host-guest interaction, we cannot uh, go for the detection limit of parts per trillion. We may go up to like only parts per million level or higher. So we, in collaboration with uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology and JIT, Professor Sagnik Basure, who has a technology of micro, microfluidic impedance anal analysis, and he was using for some other like uh, uh, blood cells or some, some other uh, biological work, by combining, when we discussed together, we combined our technologies of these nanoporous materials, the microfluidic device and then impedance analyzer together brought into one factor to bring the detection mechanism. I'll explain you how uh, I can show you something that uh, how it can clearly see um, the detection mechanism here. So how the overall detection PFAS, PNL PFAS uh, sensor or detection works. This is a, a kind of a, a device where we can uh, have a chip. A simple example is like a glucose meter and glucose the strips, right? Just put a strip here and you can see the number. But how the strip works? The strip is a sensor, a chip, lab on a chip. That's what we call here. And this is like a, a simple, a very small uh, chip like looks like this. 
So this is a small, uh, like less than credit card size of a chip that can be incorporated into the, the device here, but in the chip where we are embedding the nanoporous material. So the nanoporous material, when these molecules of water containing different contaminants and PFAS go over it, this because we have the functionalities of nanoporous materials specifically capture the PFAS then immediately then there is a current change in the current happens thereby giving it the impedance and giving the number of the sensitivity with this technology we could able to so, so initially when we started we could able to achieve like parts per million level then we we modified the methodology of like how the the water flow happened the microfluidicity and we worked around went for parts per billion and now in a stage right now we can say that with this technology we can go up to parts per trillion level detection methodology so you can go as like as low as as the detection of parts per trillion ppt or nanogram per liter with this device so this is fascinating. So we've talked about, um, you know, what nanoporous materials are, and we've talked about the host-guest relationship between the PFAS that interact with those nanoporous materials. And so now it's actually been functionalized in this, you know, lab-on-chip setup. Uh, so you have water flowing through the material, PFAS interacting with the nanoporous material, and that creates a, an electrochemical type response. Is that correct? Yes. And so it, it, is it electrochemical impedance or electrical impedance that's capturing the detection? Yes, uh, I think uh, I can want to show you as a, a different slide where that can impedance can show uh, with simple analogy here. When you look at this uh, uh, electrode platform, okay, there is a strong current is happening all over because there's no, everything is fine. This is the capture probe here, the nanoporous material when analyte is passed over on the capture probe there is a attraction of the guest into the host right then there is a change in the current the impedance in the current happens that impedance how much impedance happened is a measurable due for us to go into the detection limit so how quickly does that occur? So we're talking, you know, very low detection and concentration limits. I mean, how quickly does this reaction occur? Yeah, that's a very good question. So generally, if you look at what are the current technologies are taking, right? So because of the low concentration, uh, parts per million, uh, nanogram per liter or parts per trillion, the people are taking days because to evaporate water or multiple MSMS technologies but our technology within 30 minutes we can get the results so frankly speaking within few minutes we'll get the result but we were waiting for 30 to 40 minutes to stabilize the result whether the impedance is right that's what we are getting within minutes say we can less than an hour so i think that's a huge breakthrough i mean um very sensitive detection limit you know rapid uh you know, rapid detection um, to replace, you know, something that could take days. I know uh, in my field, um, you know, you have some real practical limitations when you're doing field work, for instance, where you need to understand what's the concentration of this material before I can know what to do with it or how to dispose of it. So a uh, huge breakthrough there. Um, so could you talk to me about the specificity? Does this 
detect individual PFAS molecules or uh, PFAS as a, as a family of molecules. Can you talk about the specificity, please? Yes. So uh, as I've showed you in another slide, how the PFAS molecules look like, right? Not only fluorine containing a fluorine on the top of the carbon chain, but also acetic acid, COOH or SO3H, sulfur containing compounds. So we when we engineered our material, if you have a material that can take all the fluorine, that is a possibility, but our intention is that when you look into all the PFAS concentration around the world, the PF, the one of the major contaminant is PFOS and PFOA. These are the two major contaminants. And PFOA is the top most contaminant of the PFAS family, a group of chemicals. So our intention is to tackle that one first because that is a higher, wherever you can see the water water concentrations, the PFAS concentrations in the water, the PFOS is on the top of the list. So our intention is to start with that. And uh, we developed this nanoporous material specifically for PFOS. And we showed at uh, parts per trillion level or nanogram per liter. At, uh, almost we showed at Five nanogram per liter or 0.5 nanogram per liter that low we went there then then we come to pfoa because are the second best second highest molecule in that group recently we also showed a different nanoporous material for the pfoa you may say that oh there are two different materials yeah there are thousands of materials or like hundred not thousands but hundreds of materials are available so we have to have in the family of PFAS, even we have to have a different materials, nanoporous materials for one is for PFOA concentrated liquid versus PFOS concentrated liquid or PFBS concentrated liquid. So again, fascinating uh, research and uh, you know, recapping it again. So we're using nanoporous materials um, that have a host guest relationship where PFAS molecules get situated in those pores um, and there's a, an attraction there. Uh, but you're able to, you know, functionalize a sensor by applying that nanoporous material, um, you know, to this fluidics pathway. And um, it's, you know, rapid detection, uh, highly sensitive, you know, we're talking low nanogram per liter uh, concentrations, and it can be functionalized to specific PFAS molecules, PFOS, PFOA, I agree with you, those are the ones we're probably most aware of and um, the most, the ones we're most concerned uh, about, although, you know, we all know that there are thousands of PFAS out there. So, uh, you know, very, very interesting and very fascinating. Um, could you talk, you know, stepping back from the technology itself, could you please talk about, um, you know, the technology readiness level? Um, is this at the bench scale or, you know, is it ready for commercialization? Where, where is it in the process? Uh, so uh, at this point of time, like when we started the uh, in the PFAS work, of course, it's on the laboratory scale level and uh, on the bench top. So if you look at right now or maybe like a year back, not right now, but a year back, it is all over half of the lab space 
like table bench space with a impedance analyzer with the microfluidity and the sensor the device and all together like if you look at enter into the lab like offset off of the lab is equipped with all those systems and everything but that is not going to work for real world application we cannot carry all over those things to the field and mm -hmm. see the water uh, only the thing is that you have to bring the water to test it which is already the existing technologies are using so our intention is doing the prototyping so that's what i showed in the first um, slide where we can have a prototyping having a handheld device with a laptop in backpack is sufficient so at this point of time while we are talking right now just last week on september we completed the prototyping the box uh, the printing of the box and manufacturing of a box which is less than like i can say like my with my hands right just just less than the small size i can hand i can hold with my hand complete system from the like computer uh, from in analyzer electronics all electricals and and uh, the fluid fluidics and uh, the reservoirs everything together into a small box that when they connected with a laptop i can go into the field that is that's what we are at this stage now so that's that was recently completed just i think this week okay so on the verge of you know prototyping a, a form factor of a fairly manageable size that can um execute that whole process that's extremely exciting so rod how how would you envision the the useful application of the device um you know in the environment or in industry uh this is a very good question because there's a lot of things has to be done in the pfas science especially in the detection space space too so for example uh this device uh, there are two things as i mentioned that the sensor sensor device and the sensor chip right so um how we can uh improvise on the the device which is as I, as I mentioned like uh, going from a bench top completely occupying the bench top to a small factor of a holding a box mm -hmm. are also working on the chip design why because the current the chip with though it's less than a credit card size but it is now get, taking a pfos but tomorrow if i go to a field there are multiple pfas are there so our intention is to have a connection between the chip to chip in a parallel or in series to see whether we can uh, having a chip a with a pfos containing material chip b pfoa containing materials chip chip c a different pfos molecule containing containing meaning that uh, captured material so that we can capture all the pfos in the field say in the, in the one uh, site a we have more pfoa concentration site b there's another concentration. Can we just replace the chips or arrange the chips in such a way that we can do all those things? Second thing, my vision is having a telemetry on the box, meaning that I don't want to go like every day there, like 10 miles into the field and getting the testing. Can we have a telemetry? Can we have a Wi-Fi ability uh, and the battery? We are talking to the battery people where that battery can last for a long time and the Wi-Fi ability so that I can sit on my computer and just push our button or automatically we can can see what is the concentration. If there's a flow of water coming from a river, right? So I have to see the PFAS concentration today, maybe evening, 
Maybe after 24 hours, after 48 hours, no need to go there. Having the chip, taking a small drop of water into the chip and test it and get the number here. That's what our vision is. And the third vision is that by understanding the concentration of this PFA molecule, one PFA molecule here in this site A versus site B, and how the concentrations are going up, down, and putting into the machine learning or artificial intelligence to see the mapping of the total concentration of PFAS coming in this area, all those things, you know, that is our vision to go into the beyond, not only just for detection, but detection with telemetry, with AI, and all those things together to have to tackle the problem in a bigger fashion. I definitely agree and identify with that. I mean, that's the uh, beauty of electrochemical sensors is uh, you're basically capturing an electrical signal. Um, in this case, the impedance of that signal uh, that can be um, you know, integrated with microelectronics and then you've got instant readouts and telemetry, et cetera. So I think that's one of the beauties of that type of detection technology. I like what you said about, um, you know, the amount of data it would collect and the prospect for, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning. That's something I'm particularly interested in. Uh, we're collecting a lot of PFAS data as an industry, whether it's through conventional analysis um, or through this type of electrochemical analysis. Uh, and when you're trying to understand a problem, uh, you collect a lot of data and you take a lot of measurements. Um, but with those accumulating databases, I think there's definite potential for, uh, you know, machine learning and, and gleaning more information from that. Um, so that's been a fascinating discussion about the, um, the detection capabilities um, using nanoporous materials for PFAS. Um, I want to switch gears a bit. Um, you know, we've talked about the versatility of this material and that it can be used for more than just detection. Uh, yes. So I understand that it can be used for capture uh, and you know, that can play into destruction. Uh, could you please uh, speak about some of the other uses of the material such as for capture? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good question. So the detection, once we have the detection, the next step is to capture. Yes, I have the site A with concentration of this nanogram per liter and site B has this nanogram per liter. Yes, but what are the current methodologies? Right now, people are using Dow chemical beads or like a activated carbon GAC or other uh, porous materials already. But the problem with them is that if you look at a GAC or uh, granulated activated carbon, the problem is with that is that is that the materials are having low surface areas and low sorption capacities and slow kinetics. How can we construct this high surface area materials? The metal organic frameworks, the covalent organic frameworks, what we are constructing, we go a surface area very, very high. The carbons right now you're, they're using is surface area of 200 to 500 meters squared per gram of material. Even that just to take a gram of material, the surface area is 200 to 500 meters square per gram but we engineered the materials nanoporous materials that can capture 10 times like 2000 3000 5000 meters per gram yeah, that's amazing i mean i think you know a lot of people in our audience are familiar with granular activated carbon and they view that as a high surface area material um but you're saying you know compared to nanoporous materials um 
the nanoporous materials are much, much, uh, have a much, much higher surface area. So uh, even the carbon, the anhydride carbon also come under nanoporous materials, one class of nanoporous materials because they are porous materials, right? The nanoporous materials a bigger class, bigger family where the MOFs and COFs are one kind of family, the carbons are one family, but okay. low surface area. Even the zeolites, we can go up to 500 to 600 meters per gram. But MOFs specifically are COFs, covalent organic frameworks, we are engineered uh, so that they have very high surface areas. Then you may ask, okay, you increase surface area from 200 to five, or from 200 to 500 to 2000 to 5000. What is the advantage? Right now, uh, so the advantage here is that by increasing surface area, you are accommodating more number of molecules inside. Right now, we are talking about tons of carbon. From there, you can just make kilograms of MOFs sufficient to take out the PFAS into a small handle, small quantities that can be handled easily. You may say, why? what is the problem having huge piles? Because the third part coming to the picture is destruction. How to handle a one ton of activated carbon having the PFAS inside? The same thing, how to handle, when you compare to that, can we handle easily with one kilogram of MOF, which having high soft, a high PFAS content? So handling is easy. You cannot put one ton into a uh, body of like destruction, right? Is easy to handle. The second thing is that the activated carbon is not good for the smaller chains. As I said, PFAS are more than 5,000 at this point of time, right? So the car activated carbon is good for the longer chain, PFOS, PFOA, but it's not it's not good for PFBS or PFBA or smaller chain. Then what ha what's happening is that in a, in a field where there's PFBS, PFBA, more concentration, then they're not taking much. And having the slow kinetics is another problem, taking very long time to uh, get into the into the pores because those are not engineered. These are, are just formed as is, right? Mm -hmm. Now, engineered having the specific functionality inside can improve the kinetics like very fast. Can can tackle the smaller chain. Can tackle the longer chain. Everything. That so, is the advantage uh, of our materials of uh, for the capture compared to the. Yeah, so I think that's you know that's pretty fascinating. I mean, I think people are definitely looking at ways to consolidate, to concentrate, to reduce those um, waste volumes. And you know, it sounds like there's definitely a role there for um, nanoporous materials, especially some of the more specialized ones you mentioned, metal organic frameworks, the covalent frameworks. Um, but yeah, something that can be engineered or tuned to those uh, shorter chain PFAS, your PFBAs, your PFBSs, the ones with, you know, four carbon backbone, you know, that's definitely a challenge uh, using conventional materials like GAC. So uh, that that really piqued my interest when, when you mentioned that. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So that's a great discussion on, you know, the capture, the sequestration of PFAS with those nanoporous materials. Uh, can you talk to me about uh, what you're looking at as far as uh, their role in destruction of PFAS? Yes, the destruction. So the capture in the these three, uh, detection, capture, and destruction, we are way ahead in the detection 
and uh, working hard to get a capture also and destruction we just started lately since we the engineered nanoporous materials like moss showed very good adsorption and gaseous phase fluorocarbons already we want to use the material for gaseous phase adsorption in the incineration process because why the most of the states are not allowing incineration because it's forming the nano uh, gaseous PFAS, right? There we can use the nanoporous MOFs that can take all the, ca uh, can capture all the gas phase PFAS. That is the primary. The second thing is that instead of going to incineration, can we go lower temperature destruction? Can we do that? Um, the possibility is that the nanoporous MOFs can be used for catalysis because one of a couple of my projects, I'm also working on the catalysis work where conversion from a to b you know catalysis there we can can we decrease the temperature from 900 to 200 250 or like 150 by catalyzing the using the catalysis process how that can happen now i, I as i said the fluorine is inside the pore now elongating the sea of bond by the functionality in the mouth so that you can break the bond that is our thermocatalysis way to destruction of the dis, uh, the PFAS. That's what you're working at this point of time. So PNL is putting a lot of efforts and money to uh, develop all these technologies of the detection, capture, and destruction, where the destruction is a little bit behind, but um, we are working on the thermocatalysis way. And also, if people want to continue with incineration, capturing the gaseous phase PFAS. Both. I think I think that's fascinating. And as I started out with the podcast, I'm, you know, especially interested in your work and uh, nanoporous materials because it's hitting the, the, you know, the three themes of this podcast were uh, detection, destruction, and capture or sequestration, however you want to uh, describe it. But uh, I think that's you know very interesting about how it could. Um, you know, enable or make incineration more effective, which can be problematic at this stage, uh, or lower the the uh, thermal temperature as low as you mentioned. So, uh, sounds like PNNL is making great strides in all three of those areas: destruction, capture, um, and detection. So, you know, kudos to you and your team at PNNL. Um, so, Radha, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, your research or your technology? Yes, uh, one thing I want to tell you here that uh, since PNNL is a national laboratory, we are take, working on the technology to uh, technology transition level at higher level that can industry can take into because in PNNL can never produce the device or sensor, chip or whatever. This only the development can happen here where we are working. Our uh, PNNL is working with the industry partners to make the like taking a license see they taking giving a license to the our technology to make them to available for the public that's what uh, technology transition will happen from a national lab to industry okay i think that's very good to know uh, solutions coming out uh, for this challenging problem and also opportunities uh, for industry um, and the uh, so yeah, Devodi is uh, sponsoring a project to PNL on the detection 
uh, of PFAS. So they are interested in six different kind of PFAS molecules. Right now we showed only two or three, but there are they are interested in six containing six PFAS molecules. So we are working. This is a three-year project. We are working with uh, on the DOD project, and also PNL is putting a lot of internal funding for the capture, destruction, and the detection, other like prototyping and other things too. Outstanding. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Disrupting PFAS podcast. Thank you to Dr. Radha Matkuri of Pacific Northwest National Laboratory for joining us today. I'm your host, Jeff Hale, reminding you to never say forever. <laughs> <laughs>